what if I told you that the outline of your surfboard isn't all that important? A quarter inch here, a quarter inch there, it doesn't matter. What if I told you that wood stringers were obsolete? What if I told you that the most critical factor of your new surfboard isn't the amount of rocker, but rather the most important decision you make about your new board is the construction of that board, not the design. Javier Huarcaya Pro is a professional surfboard builder. He is the expert when it comes to extruded closed cell foam, XTR. This is the foam you can surf without having any fiberglass. It's 100% waterproof. And it is not, I repeat, XTR extruded foam is not EPS. EPS is expanded polystyrene. XTR is extruded polystyrene, closed cell foam. Javier's construction process has caught the attention of some very big hitters in the surfboard business, including, but not limited to, Al and Britt Merrick, Kelly Slater, Daniel Thompson, and John Pizel. In 2003, Javier invented a thermoventing process and has a patent on this process, which solved a major gassing issue with extruded foam. In fact, Javier has two patents, thermoventing, and a patent for constructing boards using XTR foam. A discussion with surfboard builder Javier Huarcaya Pro. Let us begin. Javier, welcome to the Boardroom Podcast. I appreciate you taking time out of your day here to, no, to be a part of this. Me here. I'm going to try to pronounce your last name. Javier, your last name is Jorcaya Pro. Yeah. No? Well, the H is silent. Oh. How do no. I say it? Say it correctly. So just, you, it's like saying war, like going to war with a kayak. War kayak. War kayak pro. Pro. Pro is part of my name. Yeah. It's my mother, last name, born in Peru, so you have to use both, or they'll get upset. My grandma was upset when she saw was, my name was half. Right. And she told me, are you half from stomach up or from stomach down? But she was upset, <laughs> really upset. <laughs> yeah. Grandma was giving you a hard time. Yeah, she was, yeah. Huarcaya Pro, Javier. And uh, you mentioned, I think you mentioned you're from Peru, right? Yes, that's right. And when did you come to the United States? Well, I came with the ISA Games in 83. But I was at the same time in college studying industrial engineer. So I stay here. I overstay for a month. And I say, no, I got to finish this career. So I went back and I came back here what was it like in 1983 when you came here? Were you stoked? I mean, it's, you said that you stayed here for longer than perhaps you should have. So were you like, I mean, you must have been, what, 20 years old or something and just yeah, super stoked? Yeah, I was stoked? 24, and my dad has always been supportive. So I say, you're going there, we're going to, to the Olympics. It was the Summer Olympics was right in L.A. Yes, I remember, yeah. And so we went. I was lucky because the contest was in Ventura, in Oceanside in Huntington. So we were, I was getting an intense class of, 
California. Southern California. Right. So, and in that competition, you got Tommy Curran and Gary Cohn, and, and it was I remember. top, top. ISA games back then, it was top, top level. Yeah, it was like Chris Frohoff and Doug Silva and um, exactly. maybe Brad Gerlach might have been on that team and Kelly Gibson. and Yes, it was it was really like the guys that you see and in the magazines. Curran, as you mentioned. Sorry yeah, to interrupt. Especially Tommy yeah. Curran that yeah, he was that like, was, you yeah. know, like an icon. And even it was in the juniors, he was already well known, you know. Oh, for sure. Yeah, pretty interesting. So we, I stay uh, with the team in all these places. And I was, what was the Peruvian surf team like from for the ISA? What it was? Uh, it how was, many of there were you? I mean, how, did you field a strong team? It was. Um, it was funny. I, I I was not qualified for the team, but at the same time, there were mix of girls, uh, men, and juniors, and also kneeboards. So I told the uh, I missed the uh, the team by one spot, but my dad said we're going to the Olympics. So I said, and I told to the guys, okay, come with us in case we need somebody, you know. So I came with the team. It was actually better because for us it was a shock. The waves for us they were like small and beach break. It's super hard for Peruvians that are used to points. So the boards were not the best boards, and we were not really really prepared for beach break. So it was it was tough tough for the team and they could not go out at night they were like in concentration camp it was funny <laughs> in Huntington Beach they give us huge tents that you put like twenty beds in the it's like a circus tent no no hotels nothing on the beach right where now you have those big buildings you know uh, the new it was empty lots right, right there right. So I, w- I could go out at night and come back, and nobody was saying anything, and then the guys on the team couldn't do that. Oh, cool. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So, so you- but I learned, I learned about how hard it was to surf these waves, and, but also how cool it was to be in California. Because if you're not from the States, California is always a cool place, you know, because you, you see in the magazines, you, no internet, no social media. Yeah. And all the magazines were centered right here in Southern California, at least the, the North American magazines. And so, yeah, that's what you see. You get a lot of California, and you're in Peru, and you're going, wow, I want to check this place out, and you get to go here. Now, you stay an extra two weeks or a month? Yeah, I stay an extra month. Did your month. dad go home, and you just stayed? You said, yeah, it was actually pretty cool because my dad bought the video cameras back in 83. We didn't have that many. So he bought a huge video camera. And we were videoing the, not only the, the Olympics, but I was videoing the waves. I video, I video Rockin' Fig working at, at uh, one of those surf shops, uh, Chuck uh, Dent. And, and there's like historic videos. Pretty wow. cool. Yeah. Then when I went back to Peru, I was the first guy with a video camera. So I got some really cool old videos that one day I need to organize. Yeah, that sounds interesting. So you mentioned in Peru you're surfing. Uh, points, left-hand points. And, yeah. And um, that's sort of where, where you cut your chops. I always ask you, or every, I don't always ask you, but I have asked you, how come you're not a goofy foot? Yeah, well, it's um, the amount of waves in Peru, it's, it's huge. It's plenty. When I grew up, I learned in the late 70s, which I was 19. And then we got 
left and right everywhere. The famous waves are the left. Chicama is one of the longest left, but it's a soft wave, and the rides are usually bigger. Yeah. You got Pico Alto, there's mainly a ride. Then yeah. you got in Lima, within two miles, you have about five really good rides. Huh. Like yeah. slabby rides or like points? There's there's points, and, and then there's kind of like same slabby ride, mm -hmm. thick. Yeah. Uh, you can get barrel. Yeah. I have a house at the beach that I never go yeah. in Punta Hermosa, which um, you're welcome to go anytime. Yeah, yeah. It's like a, having a little swamis, a little bit wonky, windy, mm -hmm. but without the crowds. Right. You know? And it's consistent all year round. So you get a lot of rides, and the famous waves are the left. So I got a lot of left. So going backside or frontside is the same for me. Hmm. It's fun to go backside. Oh, for sure. Yeah. yeah. I'm a big fan as well. Um, you mentioned... An industrial engineering degree from the University of Lima. And your final thesis paper was epoxy surfboards reinforced with carbon fiber. Now, this is 1986, and you're an industrial engineering student. Tell me a little bit about that final thesis paper. And obviously, you were enthused with surfboard construction way back then. Yeah, I mean, my dad was an engineer, and I knew in order to succeed, he needed to get some kind of education. So that wasn't my system. But engineer was a little bit easier numbers than reading books. I have a hard time having concentration reading a book. Sometimes I go three or four times on the first page. Mm -hmm. Numbers are the one I dislike the least. So I said, my dad, was, okay, let's study this. But it's also uh, something that it goes with me because it's kind of a career that you can get organized with productions and, and factories and, and make numbers out of process. So I was surfing, and you got to do a thesis in order to get your degree. And I was like, I don't want to do something that I don't like or I don't know. And back then, computers were just barely taken off. Instead of the Excel spreadsheets, we got Lotus 1, 2, 3. Yeah. So I was able to learn a little bit that in, in, in the university. And I decided, well, my cousin, uh, Pedro, that later came here, he was doing boards. And I was doing boards, but the way I was doing was in 82, Clarform closed. Totally. You used to have a factory by the beach. In, in Peru. In Peru. Yeah. So we're making first quality blanks. All the industry from Brazil learned from, from Peru to do the glass and, and, and to shape. So the big factory, it was doing good. But in 82, this is it. I bought the last blank. So I was shaping a little bit there. And that blank delaminated so hard, it became like a double concave, like an <laughs> inch and a half of concave. Yeah. So we were like panicky, and we didn't have board. I started. So there's no more Clark foam yeah. in Peru in 1982. Yeah. You sort of had your own Black Monday, way back in 1982. No more Clark foam. No more access to foam. No more surfboards, and it was like worse than here because here you got option B, C, D, and we were like, Ooh, "What do we do?" So it's like, and my cousin Pedro, he's just like, "Okay," he started getting into epoxy, styrofoam. 
styrofoam, styrofoam, and I learned. So he made me boards. We like him. We start putting carbon. I start doing some boards. Before that, I was peeling long boards. I mean, I was peeling Phil Edwards. I was peeling <laughs> Greg Knowles. I was peeling. <laughs> These things are flat. I don't like long boards. So I, now I regret it, of course. You know, I probably peeled. I don't even know how many. Yeah. And the rocker, we had to cut a little bit and flip the nose. And we glass him. <laughs> but one of my last, last Clark phones, I shipped a, a, a 6'8". And I served this right that is like sunset in Peru. It's called Peñascal. And that was my last board, but the board buckled. So to save that board, I peeled the fiberglass and I shaped a 6'2". So that was the last, last of resources. Then we started doing the styrofoam. And then we learn a lot about what to do, what not to do with the styrofoam and the epoxy resins uh, back in the early 80s. So there was a lot of R&D with you and your cousin back in Peru with just yeah. because that was only the thing that was available to you was, yeah. was basically styrofoam and epoxy resin. And so, yeah, there are companies that tried to do the PU blanks, but there's nothing compared to Clark. Yeah. The formula that they got. It was, it was, it was and there was the a reason they must have gone out of business. It was just there wasn't enough demand for them to be in business. So they. Yes, that's the thing. Or you was, know? was, I'm sorry to interrupt, but did Brazil start making their own foam? And Clark was like, uh. I think uh, later Brazil uh, was making blanks. But I think a lot of us in this industry, we, we see the romantic size. Hey, let's make a blank factory next to the beach. We can serve. Very few make the numbers yeah. in, in, or a business plan. Yeah. So at the end, uh, they, they say, well, you know what? The new things come up and they say, we're not making any money. And now we have kids. So we don't, why do we keep doing this <laughs> crazy blanks, you know? So what brought you back to the United States? I know you mentioned, obviously, you were up here in 84 for the ISA Games, the World Games. At some point, you came back here to stay. And you started what is now Epoxy Pro. Maybe talk me and talk the listeners through that. Yeah. Well, it's a, it's a unique story. My cousin came here in 89 because he found some of these styrofoam boards that were not popular here. Even people tried before, you know, like Greg Mongol and even many other guys. And, and the, the windsurfing community was kind of into it, right? Yeah, yeah. But he was digging in, and he found the extruded foam. But there were no glass shops, so nobody would wanted to glass these, you know. So he called me and he said, "Hey, you want to open a franchise in the East Coast for the blanks and and and, and the glassing?" And I got excited, but then I learned I gotta make numbers. It's like there was no money for me to sell those blanks in the East Coast. And then we talk about, okay, I'll give you all the glassing. From the shapers that are getting orders, but they don't know how to glass epoxy. Okay, so I came here. Um, but there's something really, really interesting that I didn't know. In Peru, as a surfer, you are you have to be from middle class or upper class. Two generations before me, it was only upper class. So when I was in the 70s, it still was like up here. You got to be, I mean... It's a third world country, but there's an elite. Yes. So those guys, I mean, they have empty waves and you have to have some money. So when I came here, 
it was it was a little bit of a shock. It was very different. It was like more of the middle class. Mm -hmm. Anybody that have a car, almost everybody have a car. In Peru, yeah. not everybody will have a car. Yeah, they go to the beach in their surfers. So it's like, hmm, this is way different. So the first shock was when my brother, my cousin, uh, picking me up from Malibu, which was uh, Glenn Henning. I stayed with Glenn Henning with uh, the founder of the surf ride. Yeah, I, know I was involved in in conservation of uh, the waves in Peru, too. So I stayed with him, and my cousin said, okay, let's do this. He picked me up on his van full of blanks, and I lay down on the bottom of the van by the back door, horizontal with blanks up to my face. I couldn't even move one inch. And <laughs> wow, this is... The this is what I came These here are for. the extruded styrene blanks. Yes, he already got some like, of the blanks. He was yeah. delivering with his van all over the California coast up to Santa Cruz. Hmm. So we start doing some bores, and then he said, well, let's open a glass shop. And, he, and then something fell apart. And he said, you know what? You have to do it by yourself. Oh, no, man, that's too much. It's like, okay. So... I got this building that we are almost 30 years ago, but I got no money. Yeah. I mean, zero money. So I put a deposit of 500 bucks, and the rent was 500 bucks. That night, I couldn't sleep. Yeah. I had not even one dollar to buy food. Yeah. So I went to the landlord the next morning, and I told him, hey, guy, dude, I'm so sorry, bro, but I can't do this. I have no money, so I need my deposit back. I can't rent this building. Oh, no, you can't do that. You already signed the contracts and this and that, and this is all the legal papers. I understand, but come on, man. You can rent this out. Okay, I'll make an exception. Give me the money back. But the next, the following night, it's like, man, what a chicken. I shouldn't be. I didn't come here. Okay, okay. So I went back to the office, and I say, hey, dude, here. Here's the money. I'm not going to return it again. Please let me have the building. So I got this building, and I started building rocks, and my cousin was giving me the glassing, and we started glassing boards for a few guys, uh, Joe Blair, Infinity, uh, a little by little. And we these, are, these are extruded closed-cell foam blanks, right? Yes, And this exactly. is 1990-ish, more or less. 1990, so. exactly. Yeah, and so there couldn't have been – I mean, it must have been scary. There wasn't a whole lot of guys using – extruded styrene closed cell blanks. I mean, Clark Foam had a monopoly on the situation yeah. for Forever. until they closed. Yeah. So how did you convince guys to use closed cell blanks? I mean, how did... I think my, why did my they cousin like did uh, most of the uh, work mm -hmm. with uh, introducing the product, going to trade shows, going to places where he was able to uh, get the uh, customers going and get the... get. He did a lot of the shows, a lot of the hard work, uh, and I was helping with the glassing. But Clark Foam, I mean, it was the 90s, even in the, in the 2000s, he had yeah. a monopoly. Yeah, exactly. Clark Foam was the best whale, uh, oil company, smooth. Yeah. You get orders, you get all the stock, you get blanks, rockers. It was a great company. But at the same time, he was playing this, this monopoly game yeah. where when – Customers like Linden and other top shapers ordered, let's say, five or ten blanks. From you guys? Yeah. He found out, and it was Clark not. will find out, and they say, hey, and they go to, to Clark and say, where's my order? I ordered like 100 blanks. Oh, well, it's in the bottom because you got another blank supplier. So he is doing that to everybody yeah. so that people got scared. Yeah. 
So my, my cousin kind of gave up. Yeah. And I, I listened to Joe Blair. I said, Javi, you only do an epoxy, man. You got to do some poly. You got to glass some of the polyester boards. No, no, I don't want to do that. And then he finally convinced me and I started doing some because my cousin so the went mar- broke. So the market basically forced you to get into the poly business as well as yeah. epoxy resins. But yeah. You had to go there. To on, the glassing, on the glassing aspect, yeah. we did to keep a good crew and we keep the cash flow. But all my boards were extruded because the first day I tried one of these boards, I felt like I was in a different level of speed mm-hmm. and performance. Very, very different. And yeah. I could not replace that. Right. So I got involved with that. And my cousin said, oh, you do everything. And I, I bought a little bit of the templates and a little bit from him. And I started doing XDR. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, um, you know, as I, as I did some research, there was a bit of a breakthrough because, as you know, you know better than me, um, there was moments throughout the history that we're talking about where EPS foam, not XTR foam, EPS foam and epoxy resin, cert- there were little areas around up and down the coast. Like I want to say like Clyde Beatty did some stuff and – Every shaper more or less kind of experimented with it. And some of the problems were that, um, one, you could get a yellowing. You know, like it it just wasn't good for the retailer because for whatever reason, there was some yellowing that occurred. And there was also um, some some delamination. Like boards would just blow up out of the blue. They would literally like just explode. And in 2003, you had... I had a bit of a breakthrough, so maybe tell the listeners a little bit about the that. Yeah, I mean, you had to go back in time. The resin, the epoxy resin was for boats. And all the boats are either painted or gel-coated with white or color. So the suppliers didn't mind having a clear resin. So that was a big burden, you know. You could not get a clear resin. So we start buying our own. Uh, my cousin was start mixing our own resin. So and then I learned from him how to mix. So we mix our own. We had to buy like eight chemicals, have a digital scale, stainless steel. Did you have a chemi- chemist background? Did you ha- did you guys just literally just start pouring foam into buckets and just trial and error? Yes, my cousin did all that in the beginning. So right. I learned from him and yeah. then got the suppliers and then I mean. Necessity is the matter of all inventions, you know. So we're like, God, why do we do this? How do we do that? How do we do this? And then I, there was nobody I can call. Like today, you need something. You call, hey, I need this carbon or I need this resin or this. There's nobody to call. Yeah. Why? You want to clear resin? For what? And then the sanding part of the resin. I did some Patagonias. Uh, I rent a building around the corner here. All the Patagonians were done with EPS. We glass them all. And we have to use 60 grit wet. Because the resin was not sendable. Yeah. Wet, 60 grit wow. with the machine. Sounds like a nightmare. And we had to have a cold room yeah. and then a hot room uh, with AC. It, it was really complicated. Very much trial and error again, right? Yeah. yeah. And, I mean, we got, we got going uh, with the extruded... Um, the resin improved little by little. We got UV filters and 
it was clear. It was not staying clear forever, but it was clear. But the biggest problem was that the boards were getting the laminations. The extruder has this unique gas inside. There's closed cell, tiny, tiny cells. If you look in a microscope, I can show you. They're tiny, but they're individual. There's no air. Yeah. It's here the material and the gas, the material, tiny. So when you surf, depends who. A pro surfer could take two months. Maybe you and me can take a year and a half. The thing will start getting a little delamination on top, and that thing can grow the whole deck. Mm -hmm. So we could not figure it out how to stop that. We put carbon fiber, the strongest things. We poked little uh, groups in the foam, glass. Then I found this really good material that is super strong, and we went to the trade show with a with a baseball bat, and I have people hit it, see how strong it is. Bah, it makes such crazy noise in Orlando. Like, you mean like a resin or a fiberglass? It was or? a fiberglass. Uh -huh, core. Yeah. It's called Cormat. Uh -huh. It's like a dust of fiberglass within the core. Oh, okay. Really strong. Yeah. There's some things made out of that. Yeah. So one guy hit it so hard, he made a hole on the board in the middle of the show. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. And I think it was a Peruvian guy, too. <laughs> so anyways, that didn't solve the problem because the gas is so powerful. It will push any carbon. It will push any fiberglass. It needs a place to escape. Eventually, it has so, to escape. So yeah. we figured it out. I figured it out that just let it go out because the blank is closed cell. So I create a pattern with, uh, with heat, and I did some tests with my son, Diego, and one side of the board, we didn't put these vents, and the other side we put, and boom. It did not delaminate it. So I started thinking, wow, this is the solution. But just think about it. You trying to sell a board with holes <laughs> to a top shape from a guy coming from Peru. It's like, they, actually, Matt Violos, we were in a trade show. We were already having some stock boards. He was talking with Andy Irons. He was having a beer. I said, hey, Harry, what? He says, are you crazy? You're going to sell one board with holes? You're not going to sell anything with holes. Yeah. Just like, and a lot of people. Well, I remember actually one of the f first ones that I got from you. Mm -hmm. It had holes. I got it through Sean Madison. And I was like, what's the deal? Do I, do I cover these with wax? Can I cover these up? You know, I was a yeah. little bit concerned. Yeah, no, me too. Because you got to think totally outside the box yeah. to solve the problem. So I did create these traction strips. They were clear. Along the rails. Along the holes. But weren't they along the rails? Yeah, we yeah. did that before, but then later we eliminate those. Just put yeah. it in your stands. Yeah. So people won't see the hole. So I ordered a bunch of traction strips. And then some guy told me, no, man, you don't, I don't need that. And it's like, okay. It's kind of getting a few guys I say it's okay to have holes. You can see the holes. And it actually helped later because you can explain that. You can say all day long is 100% waterproof. You can explain to your best friend. And then the next morning, dude, I ding my board. What do I do? <laughs> Bro, I told you these things are closed cell. No, but I, no, they're closed cells. You can have those bands getting watered inside and not going to go inside the blank like an EPS that can travel from nose to tail, no? Right. So, so it kind of helps sell the product. Yeah. The XTR closed cell foam is completely waterproof. And, but there is this gassing issue, and you solved it by putting these little, basically what you call micro vents or thermal, Th thermal, thermal vents. Thermal, thermal vents, yeah, because thermal they get activated with heat. Right. 
And, and that, that solved the problem. That solved the delamination. This was a big breakthrough for you, correct? Yeah, it was a, it was a big, big breakthrough at the point that I was uh, encouraged to call Al Merritt. You yeah. know, he was the top, top. He said, oh, I got this. No, they're going to delaminate. They're going to do this. Okay, let me make a board for you and for Taylor Knox, who was writing for Channel Islands. Okay. And the guys, uh, Scott Anderson and the guys at CI, Travis Lee, and they said, wow, you're doing something different because I'll try everything, man. And he doesn't like doing the box because Clyde Beatty was on the area and he was trying, you know. And he didn't like EPS. It's like yeah. EPS has a different dampening and different. So Look, EPS and epoxy, for for whatever reason, has sort of a dark cloud or it had a dark cloud. I don't think it does anymore. In fact, what you're doing is really a, like creating sunshine around it. But you got to admit, right, back oh, yeah. then, you know, it was always, yeah, but, you know, like oh, EPS, yeah. yeah, but, you know. Oh, yeah. My work is here. Hey, Harry, what are you doing epoxy? Or epoxy is a glue. Why are you using epoxy? Workers, they work for me. But going back to CI yeah. now, yeah. he got the boards. He knew that something could happen with heat. So the first thing he did, he put it in his van. It's dark, in the sun, for over a week. On purpose. On purpose. Yes. And I keep, I keep wondering, what is this? But I, should I call? No, I'm not going to call. Yeah, maybe I should call. And then I call Al and say, hey, you know what? You know what happened? Like, oh, no, because I hear those stories all day long. Of boards blowing up. You mean. Yeah, we used to take boards to the shops, and it was about either eight months to two years where we get the news, hey, your board got pregnant. <laughs> your board got pregnant. Yeah, big dilemma, you know. So yeah. it was the time for it. So I thought he was going to say that. I said, you know what? I couldn't surf it. I keep falling. I keep falling. Oh, wow. I was like, and you know what? I flipped the board, and one of the fins fell out. But I love the board. So we can order more. That was the first, oh, wow. the first attempt with, with Good CI. News. Good news. Yeah. Now, obviously, 2005, the big, you know, in the surfboard industry, the Clark Foam closing was a big deal in, the de- in December of 2005, what we call Black Monday, for lack of a better phrase. And, and it shook the surfboard manufacturing industry to its core, no pun intended. Uh, but for a guy who's working with, Closed cell foam and epoxy resin, you must have been kind of laughing, right? I mean, you seemed – were you the only guy that had foam? Were, were people just flooding to your door? Back then with Clark foam, a lot of people got sensitive about doing anything because Clark will put you out. Everybody knows this. Yeah, he'll put you out of business. Everybody knows yeah. this. Even, even uh, a pro surfer, I wouldn't say that name, told me, Harvey, you have a family. Why do you keep doing these blanks? Clark is big. At the beach, he told me that. And I thought inside me, what do I have to lose? I don't even own a house. You know, I have yeah. a station wagon. Yeah. Okay, if he wants to do something, maybe it will be something that will give me some publicity. You know? So it was one company uh, doing blanks that Gerlinen was working with. Uh, Bennett? Also. Or Walker. Walker. Walker, yeah. Walker, Clark, us. Yeah. So when Clark, it was funny because I was competing in a contest at Salt Creek. Yeah. And with my two kids, really young, and then in between heats, I'd say, let's drive around here. And we went to Clark Foam. It's in Laguna Beach. Yeah. Hey, look, this is Clark Foam. 
This is where they make all the boards. This guy doesn't like me. <laughs> it's did a huge know, company. Did he know you or were you, I mean. It probably because he, he, he knew was your control. He, he knew your yeah, company. Yeah, he was controlling everything. Yeah. You know, he knew every detail yeah. of everything. Yeah. That's the reason he went out because he was losing control. You got the surf text coming. There was an article done by Aaron Chang on this factory. He called it Epoxy Revolution. That month is when Clark decided to close. Well, that was a Sunday when I took my sons to the Clark Farm uh, factory. Yeah. It's outside, you know, but that Monday was the Black Monday. The following oh, Monday, really? the next day. Oh, that's coincidence. Like, Whoa, yeah. this is weird. Hiring for a small business is critical. It's imperative that you find a highly qualified professional to treat and grow your business with the same care and detail that you do. LinkedIn Jobs will be your next big unlock. LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to find the right professionals for your team fast and for free. Everybody is already on LinkedIn with their resume and their references. So the fact that LinkedIn built a hiring platform to connect the dots between everything is simple genius. It's way more sophisticated than a job board. It's a vast network of more than a billion professionals meticulously organized to connect people by skill set, desire, ambition, all in an effort to help us advance our position. And it's easy to use and intuitive. So effective that 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Fast hiring solutions means achieving your goals in record time with rapid growth in 2024. LinkedIn Jobs will even help you write the job descriptions and give you tools and prompts to help you interview your candidate like a pro. LinkedIn.com slash surf is where you go to post your job for free. Yes, totally free. And you can let the world's largest social network of business professionals work to connect you with the ideal candidate to help you grow your business. That is LinkedIn.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. But... So were people were shapers flooding like like I said were people like yeah. going dude you're the only guy with yeah blanks really and I've never used a closed cell and what do I do and they were probably clueless they're like going hey can I, do you have any of that epoxy foam you know like they were so ignorant oh yeah yes what happened was initially was like wow this is this is good news you know companies like Channel Island called me and said, I want 100% of your production. I wanted to do like this many boards. Please don't and when sell did that happen? Blanks. Did you get calls from Channel Islands yeah. like Monday. the next week? Monday. You, did no, you get the a lot same of, day. Did you get a lot of calls from a lot of people? Yeah, a lot of calls. So people, your phone was just ringing off the It mic. was a panic mode, even though the tone of the CI rep, he says, Happy, you don't know what happened. He said, like, no. Me coming from Peru, I thought it was a, a terrorist attack because there's always bombs when I grew up. <laughs> and then there was blackouts and no hot water. It's just a nightmare. Yeah. I thought it was like, wow, something happened. You don't know what happened. No, what happened? Clark Foam was out of business. So we want to secure your production. And at that moment, it's like, wow, this is insane. This is going to work finally. You yeah. Know? Because it's already been like I was doing already for 15 years. So the first thing I called was Dick Brewer. And Dick wouldn't believe me. Hey, Dick, Clark Foam, close. I don't think in Hawaii nobody knows. Grab all the Clark Foam that you can. Because <laughs> I was doing that label, too. The I Brewer, was, the brewer yeah, label, yeah. yeah. We were getting the blinds from KKL. We were glassing. And I thought I got a... 
I mean, you obviously that's the poly, you were doing the poly work. Yeah, that's yeah. when the poly the polyester and, and the epoxy the, were like doing. You were doing both in here, right? Yeah, more yeah. polys. Right, more because, polys. Yeah, uh, that's what it was. That's yeah. what the the ninety five percent, ninety nine percent of the market mm. was poly. Exactly, yeah. the polyester. Only your boards were the exterior. Very, very few, very few. It was Clyde Beatty and Greg Lower and a couple of guys in the East Coast and maybe somebody I'm forgetting, but Greg yeah. Mungo too. Mungo, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they were they were, they were doing, but. So, CI, so, so it was good. It was good. Yeah. But then the reality kicked in. Everybody that was either scared or romantic about the industry, they say, well, let's, let's uh, sell blanks. So suppliers from South Africa, Australia, Brazil, they start making foam. 32 companies were born. Yeah. 32 to supply PU. Yeah. Without counting us that we were doing uh, some of the blanks. So it became a little confused, and then the whole thing settled down, and we realized that we cannot make that many boards for one company. Yeah. Because they put them in the store in some yellow, because the resin was not up there. And that's when I was little by little being kicked out of the stores. Right. No, because they're yellow, because they're too expensive. They're more expensive because the material is expensive and the labor is a lot harder. Yeah, more labor and more expensive yeah, materials. You gotta have certain techniques mixing the resin, the hot room, cold room. So I was forced out of the stores. So I said, so start trying to sell boards online. But this was this was early. The internet was the modem to make that noise. Still in dial-up mode. But I create the first order form online. We start selling a few boards online. Yeah. But so it's interesting. So the Clark Foam thing at first, it seemed like, wow, my dreams are actually coming to fruition. But in reality, because there's all these new foam companies that tried to fill the market, the void in the marketplace, and it just kind of wasn't really what maybe you had hoped it would be. And plus, the resins you were using were yellowing. And how did you solve this problem? Because I look at your boards today, and I've had your boards, and they're they're as white as white can be, and they stay white. So what did you do to solve the yellowing of the, the resin, the coloring? Well, the article that Aaron Cheng did is called Epoxy Revolution. There were more guys doing epoxy. So the suppliers start paying attention, not just for boats or high-end parts. You mean parts. like Greg Lord? No, the suppliers of raw materials. Yeah, well, Greg, Greg worked for like a resin company, like resin He was works. mixing his own, but he's buying also from raw material companies. Oh, I see. chemical companies. Okay, you like Chow or whoever. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so these guys, hmm, let's... So everyone's having a problem with this color, coloring oh, yeah. issue. Everyone that's using epoxy resin is going, oh, well, yeah, but yeah. whatever. You know, I'm sure many of you guys are like, well, it yellows, but it's it works better. Yeah, yeah. But for the standpoint of uh, retail, the surf shop, it was not viable, you know. It was not like the guy's buying, I'm going to buy this cost more, it's going to yellow. It's like, yeah, I don't think it's going to work. So yeah. it, was, uh, it, was, it was hard. So we, we got... Attention from the big chemical companies that we can buy. Instead of buying one drum every six months, now we can buy a drum every month, every three weeks, every two weeks. You know, so it's, so it's getting up there. You so know? they're starting to listen to some of your needs and some yeah. of your concerns because you've got enough volume. So they're like, hey, and this I customer started needs learning our help. about about what makes the resin yellow because you got the resin, you got the hardener. Some of the hardener is toxic. And I learned that early. So some of the components I use are the safest because the guys will 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 say that smells strong. I'm kind of concerned. So see that book there? It's the additives. Yeah. 
that's like this thick. It's like the Bible. And you can get so low. So I make phone calls and phone calls. And there's a few guys that can help us. So we start mixing our new formulas, new formulas, you know. So you're talking to chemists at this point. Yeah. Instead of trial and error like you did. In yes, the, yes, yeah. yes, yes. But it was really, really, really tricky because you can get it clear, but it can be soft. Or it will be hard to sand. Or hard to wet the fire glass. Or it can delaminate more. <laughs> yeah, it was not like easy resin and harness like poly. Yeah. I mean, you can teach a monkey to do as a polyboard. It's easy. So, tell me about this resin. You came up with a new resin that's that's. Um, yeah. So so I, by the. I by mean that that sort of really solved the last, the last piece to the puzzle as far as the retailers and as far as me and the guy on the street, the general consumer that. Yeah. That wants a white surfboard. Yes, a lot of the guys who start doing color and they like the performance and they come back because of the performance. But there was a lot more obstacles. Uh, the shaping of this extruded is really hard. You cannot, you can't use a normal planer. You got to use a barrel sander. Right. So instead of blaze, There's, you got these. Yeah, barrels with they've got little grit. nubs on them, right? Yeah, yeah it's basically like. A high grit or yeah. low grit sandpaper. Yeah, and that little barrel costs about three hundred, and there were not that many. Uh huh. So we we got that, and some shapers will shape, but they'll complain, dude. This is so hard. And when I sell a board, the guy doesn't come back until four, five, six, or seven years. I don't think I want to sell this. So that was a big problem. Yeah. But inside me, it's like, I mean, how sustainable is that? That you're making a board that is going to fall apart. And hope to fall apart so I can get a customer. I thought that was that was that was not right, but they were correct. It was impossible to shape. But then the machines came up. But that was another huge problem because the machines will melt this foam. Oh wow! They will melt, or they it will melts the closed cell foam. Yeah, the machines. They're, the they're, machines, they're too the hot. Machines. The bit's too hot. The machine is too fine for a PU blank in normal poly. Uh, uh, clear foam mm -hmm. is fine. When you touch this foam, it's like it become liquid. Yeah, it became liquid. So they said, "No, I cannot do this." I remember working with KKL, creating cutters specially for them, uh -huh. and getting nozzles with cold air to shoot at the foam. Oh, so you cooled it while you cut it just to keep yeah. it going. Or we put water, and the guy said, "How are you going to mix water with electronics? You're crazy." Yeah, but it, there's one of those solutions, and I learned at the end that every machine could cut it or not, depending who was operating the machine. So I decided to get a machine. And that was... Another tough. headache, huh? I got a prototype machine that it will cut okay one day, cut not, like, not okay the other day. But it cut good, extruded. And by being a prototype machine, the board go on the rail sideways. With suction cups. So then I got an order. I, finally, I was always having one machine that was paying, sitting outside in the rain because they couldn't help it or fix it or sell it. And another new machine hoping and praying that will work. Okay. Paying two machines at the same time. Right. But only one's doing your business. But that saved us because right now we got the cutters, we got the machine, and there's only a few guys that can cut these foam, comfortable. And say, okay, yeah, okay. Timmy Patterson is one. He's really into detail. So yeah. 
The other companies can do it, but they want to charge you an arm and a leg. I remember I was doing Bethany Hamilton. She was our first team writer mm-hmm. in KKL was cutting. KKL was suffering. So finally, because she likes these extremes. Just so the listeners know, KKL is a company up here yes. that, that has a, a machine, bunch of machines, and yes. they, they cut a lot of blanks for a lot of shapes. Exactly. It was okay. one of the first companies with Absolutely. a license all over the world. Yeah. That they cut boards, you know? Yeah. They scanned the board with digital, and then they cut it. So KKL told me, okay, this is going to be too hard. Bethany liked these boards. And it helped her paddle. It helped catch you in the performance. And these are these are extruded. These are XTR blanks these for best XTR Bethany? blanks, yeah. Right. So because at one point CI told me, hey, Bethany loves the XTR, but it's going to be hard to sponsor because uh, she's she wasn't competing. She was in no movies, nothing. And so it's like, I don't know. We're going to keep, I mean, taking other pros from here. It's like kind of like controversial. It's like wow, we didn't have any team writers. I said, okay, Bethany likes it. I'll. If you want to support, you got to put the blank and the glass in and, and the cut. Like, we put the labels in the ship. You say, okay, I'll do that. But KKL cut the first ones, and normally they charge 25 bucks, 30 for a normal blank. They charge 50 bucks to me, and 50 to, to Channel Islands, is like, because it was too hard. It's very, it's just very difficult. So KKL, yeah, basically a hundred dollars a cut them. instead of thirty-five or forty dollars a cut. Yeah, or uh, twenty-five or thirty. Yeah. yeah. But now with the machine that I got here, the Shape Three DM, uh, with the special cutters uh, that design, and we can. Push. So now, after what seems like thirty years of of trials and error for you, and f- with the epoxy resins and with Closed cell foam and having to do also polyester um, and polyurethane glassing just to keep everything going and mm-hmm. the discoloration and the delamination. And now with the machines, it seems like you're at a place and maybe help me out here. Maybe I'm not characterizing this correctly, but it seems like you're finally at a place where you can kind of exhale and go, yeah, things are running pretty smooth. Like I've solved most of my problems regarding construction of of xtr surfboards yes i think um since the early days i knew that the styrene component when the normal polyresin was getting uh penalized by the epa that the epoxy was the way to go that's what says epoxy pro the pro part is part of my name my mother last name yeah just not because it's pro surfing so we thought, okay, epoxy had to be the way to go. But it took so long. But the EPA nowadays are having put in more and more uh, limitations on the amount of styrene, which is, is toxic. Yeah. It's volatile. It goes in fumes. Yeah. But, yes, it took, it took a long time. So right now, by having this issue where the machines would not wanted to cut it, I was able to cut bores for the top brands. Yeah. So I decided, okay, these guys are getting. I sh- don't make any money selling blanks. So we start talking to the shapers. Hey, I can sell your board. You, I'll cut it. You give me the file, I'll cut it. We glass it. But you shape it. So the original shaper is going to touch the board. I always thought that has to be an, yeah. uh, the biggest component. Yeah. So it took me. 12 years to convince CI and a lot of time to convince other shapers. Uh, 
had to build trust through them. Was, okay. was Daniel Thompson a big part? Was like, did, did the fact that Daniel Thompson came in and said, yeah, I like what you're doing. Let's do this. Did that help the other companies kind of go, oh, was that a tipping point, do you think? Or was there another tipping point? Like at some point they all had to – somebody had to be the first one in. And I, was it Daniel Thompson and then they all followed? No, I think I think CI was one of the biggest uh, early uh, early proponents. Early, yes, yes, because even Jeff Burton like the extruded. Yeah, that might. So he was actually doing very good. We were getting orders for the flag store and Santa Barbara. So, and then we got also um, early boards who were doing Gary Linden. Uh, so, but I yeah, but big Daniel, time, a big time guy like Channel Islands really is kind of like, I mean, that's sort of like a tipping point. Like if CI yeah. is buying into your program, then other guys are going to look and raise their eyebrows and go, oh, maybe something's going on over there. Exactly. Exactly. That was that was my effort to get board to awe and, and to tailor to try. And that was when Clarform, I got a boost. This, but it, we were not ready. Nobody was ready for epoxy. And I didn't have any phone number to call, hey, this is yellowing, or or I cannot send this resin. So we were not ready. But then when Daniel was using also KKL, he kind of had an interest in getting some extruded. So he called me, and I was selling in the blanks. But I said, hey, I can cut him in here. Said, no, no, I got my files in there. I wanna. He's very, very protective of his design. Yeah. So at one point, he let us cut in here. And he was happy with the cuts. So he got a couple team riders. Um, he liked the way the boards performed. And his team riders, like Stu Kennedy, loved the way he performed. Well, Daniel himself is yes. probably the greatest critic you can have. Yes. Because he's Daniel. such a good surfer. Daniel was, like, really liking, I think, his influence from his dad. He also got some extruded from my cousin back in the day in Australia. Oh, okay. So he got, okay. And... We start doing more and more with Daniel. So he got in the U.S. Open. Stu Kenny, they got in the U.S. Open. He got an interview. What is this? This board with no nose. And, like, the judges are not giving points. But he was going off. Yeah, I remember. So I think Daniel, it was like a Simon Anderson breakthrough in nowadays, you know, in designs. Right. And it was it Do you was mean specifically, good. like, the, the way he shaped the boards? Yeah, the, the kind of the taking the nose away and having yeah. a blunt nose board. Yes, that, it's, it's that was sort of, in your opinion, that was sort of a Simon Anderson type yes. of moment for pro surfing. That yeah. that it was accepted because Stu Kennedy was performing on this design. Exactly, and it's beyond the no nose, no tail. He's concave. I have a mathematical formula. It's not like I make this one wider. Because he he got into it. Yeah, he he was able to prove by him surfing, and I was lucky to meet him, which he was. Not that easy because Daniel is very particular. He's very detailed. He knows what he's doing. Yeah. And we got a couple orders through some of the shops. So Tomos was doing XTRs, XTRs. So it, it, it started growing in there. I even I think Kelly got a board from from John uh, from uh, Tomo. And he served he snappers. Snapper, yeah, I remember, and, yeah. Yeah, and then the phone was ringing in that heat. <laughs> on that heat. Yeah. Phone was ringing off the hook. Kelly's, I want like Kelly's. Me, right. I watch every single contest, even QOS that exists on the web. I don't know why. Yeah. I'm obsessed with the webcast. But so, and also the way that Kelly got into 
uh, firewire it was because the first taste was the Tomo. Yeah. And even Mark Price, his first Tomo was an XDR. Yeah. You know, so he liked, they liked Tomo, so they decided to take Tomo under their license, and then Kelly got more interest, and then the whole thing took off, you know. And how many, do all of the customs um, from Daniel Thompson come through here now? If you get a custom one, yeah. not a Firewire one? Yeah. So he's building boards for a lot of professional surfers that, that are coming, that are all coming through this factory. Yeah. Well, Firewire, Mark's business guy made his contract that Stu Kennedy is not allowed to use any other not allowed to use XDR. Right, but I mean like Peter Mel, like who, whoever's yeah. riding. Well, those are probably custom. Channel Islands, though. The ones that Peter Mel, that gun that you showed me a picture of. Yeah. No, Daniel get customs, and uh, we did that one for Peter Mel. And Daniel shape it, and that's a, a custom XDR. So Daniel has his stock fire wires. Yeah, right. And he's doing customs with XDR. And, and so I imagine all of the new stuff that Daniel's experimenting with, new designs, come through this factory. Yes, Is exactly. that correct? Yeah, yeah, so we got new models, newer models uh, here first, you know, that he try and he play with the files. He'll play with the files. He fine-tunes and they say, okay, let's do this. And then, like, on the boardroom show, I took a couple models, even foil boards, a couple models that totally new brand new and and it's good because he's he's having this uh test with us and then and then if the board is good then then kelly gets interested and say oh i want that one i mean that's pretty that's really top validation for you and what you're doing here that daniel puts his trust in the process here the construction process kelly slater's getting custom boards through here i would imagine is that correct well, Kelly's uh, work with uh, with Firewire is strictly with their own construction. Oh, okay. And they do some here, but very, very few. But, the but I mean, prototypes for Firewires must come through here if Daniel's doing them, right? Is that correct? Or Yeah, because he's also doing some in Australia, you know, uh -huh. um, and, and some EPS he does there, you know, because there's no XTR in Australia. Yeah. We decided together to open a factory there do the XTRs in Australia, but then thinking deeply with all the experience is really hard. It's going to be too hard. Yeah. So I so said, let's do this here. Now we ship boards to Australia. Okay. From here, door-to-door right. -door service. Is there a tariff? Is there a, Do you pay an import duty? Yeah. Yeah. The, our boards are the most expensive boards in the marketing yeah. system because of the cost of the materials. Yeah. The cost of the labor. Yeah. Uh, and then and, you're paying a duty when you send boards yeah, to Australia. And, and the, the shapers get a really decent royalty i pay the highest royalty to the shapers i yeah. want them to be happy and i want yeah. them to be comfortable yeah and i wanted to have added value to their brand i think you're adding um value to the entire surfboard manufacturing industry when you keep a price point that's that's nice and high surfers sh should understand the value of this board this is an incredibly high-end surfboard i just got one from you and i'm just blown away by the responsiveness the um the the obviously the aesthetic is is unique, and um, it's it's very obvious to me that I'm riding basically you know for lack of a better phrase the Ferrari of what's available to me from a construction standpoint. Yeah, well, um, I think I heard that before from customers. You know, without me creating that phrase, you boards are the Ferrari of the industry. But at the same time, the customer base is 
Is that a phrase that somebody used? Because I just said that. I didn't know. No, that's a phrase that some customers are uh, using, you know. Well, it makes sense. But the biggest problem was the price. So they are used to Ferraris are expensive. But they are used (laughs) to. You're used to go to your shaper. If you you don't go to the shop, if you go to – because there's a lot of the shapers that they do boards. It's like, hey, man, but 400? I used to pay 350. And it's like (laughs) – the guy showing up in a BMW. Oh, so yeah. that's been another burden to educate the people. Look, we're adding value. There is a technology here. It's not the same as 70 years ago with the stringer, you know, because a lot of people are competing with, with 70-year-old technology, and it's like it's a loose battle. So so when you have this board trying to charge more, that was another hurdle. But little by little... Guys come back, you know what? Your board lasts me three times. So I'm saving money. I'm yeah. saving money. Yeah. And I can get the top shapers. So so they were like, we broke the 800, 900 uh, price yeah. barrier. Price and point, and yeah. in Australia, it's 1,000. Yeah. We don't want to market this to everybody. But if you want something that lasts longer and choose the top shapers, we we can help. And you, you've seen the board that I brought in here. I brought in a board here about, I don't know, a year ago. And I asked you, I said, hey, I want you to copy this board. I love this board. And the board's still a great board. Like, it's an XTR, right? And, mm-hmm. and I mean, I guess what I'm saying is it's still light. The flex is still there. It's still strong. There's nothing wrong with it. And you were saying that. You're like, this is still a good board. Like, you know. But anyway, my point is they do last. Now, I want to get on stringers um, mm-hmm. because you've told me flat out stringers are obsolete. There's no real need for an, a wooden stringer between the foam. Yes, this could be controversial, but if you have a material that is soft, you need a stringer. But just just let's rewind a little bit in time. Why do we have stringers? The first boards were made out of wood, made hollow wood and then, and then solid wood, and then... Hobby and Gordy Club got the blanks. So they put foam. But the stringer was two inches thick and then one inch thick, then half an inch thick. But they kept the stringer because the foam will be too flexible. It won't be strong. But now with other materials like this through it, you eliminate the stringer, not a problem. Not a problem. Now we offer a series of different constructions that can apply to a specific wave size and specific surfers, we don't need a stringer. Because also the stringer is inconsistent. If you if you you probably know this, a top company give a pro rider, a pro surfer boards for the next competition. They give him five boards or four. And the, the guy tries. All exactly the same glassing, same dimensions, same shapes. And I say I don't like it. I love this one. This one. So and of the four boards, there's one that he specifically likes, but nobody knows why if they're all the same exact board. Yes. And, and nobody really thought about this, but the wood is a natural product. You don't have two trees that are the same. The branches are all different. Even there are plywood and a triple plate. You still have dry wood. You have grain. It's, it's not the same. It's just not the same. It happened to me because I was doing stringerless and competing, and I make an really good board and I made another one say, wow I'm getting good at shaping and I were like wait a minute the difference is this one doesn't have wood 
So it's easier to duplicate a magic board. Much right. easier. Okay, so the stringer, more than anything, is just it's inconsistent. The flex patterns, you just can't count on it. Yes, you, you, I mean... What about strength? If you have uh, a foam that is not super strong, yes, you need a stringer, you know? And there's nothing... But does that where Kevlar or carbon fiber kind of takes the place of, of the... Yes, because the synthetic materials, either high-density foams, carbon or Kevlar, are consistent. You can control that, that, that flex by being more uh, consistent from board to board, you know? So we, 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 we offer stringers because there's guys um, that you say no stringer, it's like, whoa, it's going to break. Or it's going to be this, it's going to be that. Um, I went through that process. But then I felt that I was going much, much easier to surf with other stringer because you flow with the wave. You match the wave with your weight and the flex of the board. Does the XTR foam, can you make the XTR foam? I think you do this, so I apologize, but... Does the XTR foam have – can you make stuff that's high density so it's stronger down the middle where the stringer would be and then a more standard closed cell foam on the rails? Is that what that blue – Yeah, yeah. We, is that we, what it is? Is that high density? The blue is a high density XTR and then the white. Yes, it's a high density extruded on the middle. And there's many combinations you can do. And since we start doing this about – 12 or 15 years ago, trying to eliminate the stringer because I felt a lot of people say, no, no, no. I remember uh, Matt, my always told me, no, man, I don't, I don't want stringerless board. I don't want stringerless boards. And I was thinking, for me, for some customer, it's the ultimate feeling. So that got me thinking. And I realized that, okay, he has a different uh, board dimensions and, and he has a different weight than some of my customers. So we start doing a different flex patterns. You cannot have the same construction for you or me or a little kid or for a bigger wave. So that's when we start applying custom flex. So custom flex, if you match the flex for a specific guy and a specific wave, you can almost override the shape. Construction is overriding the shapes. So if I come to you with, like, say I have a magic board, for instance. I'm like, this is my Magic 6-2, Javier. I want you to make me another one just like it. And you might say, well, or, or actually better a better hypothetical situation. I say, Javier, I, just, I love this board, but I want one for bigger waves. Can you make it a little narrower and a little fuller? I ask you to do some simple changes to the design. Mm -hmm. You might say, Scott, okay, but what I'm suggesting is make the construction different not don't take you know don't change the volume or don't change the design of the outline plan shape instead let's do some tweaks with the flex exactly correct exactly i have two boards same dimensions same exactly dimensions different flex so the boards for bigger wave needs to be stiffer yeah an easy way to to process this and understand this is when clarfon was selling blanks you got the ultralight, the superlight, the green, the blue, ta, ta, ta. And usually the lighter blanks were used for, the models were only for short boards, for smaller waves. And the heavier uh, blanks were for bigger boards. So we were getting stiffer boards 
for bigger waves. Yeah. But there was a draw. It was a, there was a, it was a Give and downsized. Take. Yeah. It was heavy. Now, I learned. Now, this can be also very controversial, and some people say, no, no, no. But Controversy is good. <laughs> if you could control the flex for bigger waves, so you would get a stiffer board for bigger waves, you don't have to add weight. But people say, I want a board for a bigger weight. I want it to be heavy. Yeah. But they're right and they're, and, and they're wrong. They're right because when you get a heavier board, you get a stiffer board. Indirectly, you, you glass it with a lot more glass, so it's heavy, but it's also stiffer on a right. normal board. Right. But being heavy doesn't add performance to a bigger wave. But let, let's talk about... What about dropping down the wave face? Because when I think about... Because this is the way I would think. I would say, oh, I need yeah. a bigger... I want a heavier board because I'm dealing with yeah. bigger waves. And the heavier board creates velocity. It gets me down this big, giant wave fa- yes. faster and quicker. Yes. yes. But if you ever surf... Let's talk about ways for normal humans. Let's forget about Peaje. Let's forget about Puerto. Let's get ways that people surf. You and most. me, six to eight foot swamis. Yeah. Right? That's about yeah. as big as we're going to surf. Yeah. Or even where I, when I learned earlier about this was Sunset Beach. I was sitting at the beach and Felipe Bumar from Peru, the world champions, he yeah. surfed big waves. Yeah. And I got a 6'9". So, so they said, let's go to Belzeeland. Okay. And then we went to his house and said, hey, we should surf Sunset. Sunset was as big as he gets. And I don't have a board. Well, here's a 9'6". Three and a half inches thick with the bonser on the bottom. The Willie Brothers on the branch. So Felipe's giving you a 9'6 to ride a big yeah. bonser. Big... And it was so heavy, I couldn't carry it. <laughs> It's like, dude, I mean, how are you going to surf this thing? No, it's going to help you go down the line, the way. The way. So he's telling you the, the weight's good. that's what everybody thinks is yeah. everybody applies. Yeah. So we went out. I remember I paddled far. I said, no, keep going. So we farted out. Man, it was big. Yeah. So we paddled, paddled to the outside of the West Peak. Yeah. And this big set came. And I caught one wave. It's like. Jesus, I, this is insane. Wow. It was an easy wave. Then, then the wind picked up a little bit offshore. This is a 9.6, heavy. Yeah. I don't, I, for me, it was standing on the sidewalk. I was thick. Yeah. So I got this wave, and I felt the wind getting under. So I leaned forward, and I felt the wind lifting a little bit. So I go low, super full on the nose. I'm going to have of the wave, making the bottom turn, the drop, and that thing lifted me like a cupcake, like pshh. The wind lifted the heavy board, no matter what you did. Yes. So when we talk about normal boards, that's kind of extreme. The difference between a heavy board and a lighter board on a 6.6 six is, is maybe one pound. That could be the difference in your wetsuit, or that could be the difference in your lunch. Okay, or, I see what you're saying. So, so people saying- think heavy boards are easier to go in there is some into it. If the wave get bumpy, it might help cut the chop. You're saying for the average guy in, in general conditions, like I was saying, like six-foot swamis or whatever, or four-foot cardiff or three- to five-foot oceanside, the weight's not that big of a deal. But it is a big deal. It 15-foot sunset, it does make a difference. If is it's that what windy. If it's windy, right. If it's windy. But those are extreme conditions. You're saying yeah. for the 90% of us that are surfing – just everyday surf, that the, the weight of a board 
isn't that big of a deal. And so you can go lighter. You can go lighter. Is that what you're suggesting? Yes, you can go lighter, especially if it's glassy. There's a lot of big glassy waves. And I learned this from from guys like we used to do some of the brewers, uh, Gary Manamara, Makua Roman, Ikaika Kalama. Javi, I'm surfing pipe. I went as light as possible. And that's when I was just learning the concept. As light as possible, okay? I don't care if it breaks. Now, of course, no pain for it. But I was concerned because of my logo in XTR. Yeah. No, Missy Javi. Light. So Makua is saying he wants it as light as possible. Gary Manamara, Makua, for pipe and for, for pipe, chopu. Uh, for chopu, yeah. It's glassy. Glassy so waves. I can get out of the barrel faster. I can make turns easy. I don't have the, the uh, swing weight on the right. nose to make right. a snap. I'm talking about, I'd say, double overhead or maybe triple overhead. Yeah. You know? Yeah, Beyond like, that, it's almost a different sport. Yeah. You know? Right. It's a different it's a People whole different don't ball. do turns. Yeah. Even though big wave surfing should start making turns. Like yeah. uh, I've seen some of the, like Kai Laney doing really good turns in big waves. Yeah. I love to see that coming, you know? Yeah, yeah. So, so when we get a bigger waveboard, I do think it needs to be stiffer. Now, I'm shifting gears just a little bit, Javi. What about um, vacuum bagging? Do you have any thoughts on vacuum bagging? Is that something that you guys do here or that you've tried? Yeah, there is a construction that um, we've been doing with the uh, carbon on the rails that you have to vacuum. And it's uh, really good looking, but we're trying to tear away of look, good looking boards. We want to be more specific with custom flex, and we do that. But it's labor intensive and, and adds more of uh, on the bill. You know, it's yeah. expensive. Yeah, uh, it's 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 the best weight to uh, resin ratios. Yeah, it's just it's just a little pricey and slow. Slower, yeah. Yeah. We, we'd like to provide the best service when somebody ordered a custom, you know. It's like, it's not bored done yet. It's, it's, it's wrong, you know. We, we, we got a, the website. You can check if your board's being cut, it's being shaped, it's being sanded, if it's in glass, you know, it's in quality control. So people go there. And there's options to upgrade. You can get it in 10 days if you want, you know. There's a fee, but yeah. people are going on a trip. Or it's a present, boom, we can yeah. get it. We, we want to do focus on service and, and like, again, custom flex. The, the carbon uh, with vacuum, it's really good. It's performant, but it's not so production friendly. In making boards here, uh, production is already tough. Yeah. So custom flex is really kind of where it's at right now for, for Epoxy Pro and for this factory. I can come here uh, or I can go on your website and order a board and get different flex patterns, which, again, in your opinion, that construction, um, how I order my flex when I order a surfboard, is it overrides the actual design. In other words, okay, you're getting a 6.2 Scott. You know, whether it's 20 and a half or 20 and a quarter isn't as important as the custom flex that you order. And that's really kind of what you've been hammering to me over the past three or four months. Yes, and it's not that we came with this mathematical formula, the flex value, and you measure the flex. We did a lot of board. We did a lot of construction. Uh, what can everybody doing now? So we made a lot of mistakes. We were able to, to see how people like and people dislike. 
and say, oh, okay, so let's do this, let's change here, and, and then, wow, okay, we have to, we have to differentiate. If somebody, if a little kid comes here and they want to order a, a, a triple stringer, you can see clearly that's wrong. Yeah. So, but if he also wants to order carbon here, carbon there, it's like, no, you don't need it. Yeah. And you're probably going to save some money. Yeah. But if an older guy come here, hey, this is really common. I hate epoxies for bigger ways. Why? Because everybody glass the same way or very close for a head high day to a big gun and epoxy. And, and, and uh, with, with any construction of epoxies, they glass it almost the same, you know? But there's people that have been using these big guns in, uh, with epoxies, like uh, Peter Mel got this one. Also, Peter Mel won a competition uh, and big wave with, with the epoxy a few years ago. So custom flex became really, really relevant. If you remember, uh, Surftech did a lot of boards with the best shapers, yeah, the best models. Yeah. In the 90s, for, from yeah. the best shapers of the world with the magic board, they yeah. scan and they glass it. The boards were super durable. They so Surftech had like John Carper, they had CI, they had Rusty, they had Timmy Patterson. Everybody they had a bunch it. of great shapers, exactly. but the construction was all the same. The coaster was the same, which was a good construction because it was super durable. And if you compare it to the normal board, it's like, wow, this board is going to last more than my car. Yeah. But what happened? We're, he only was accepted really, really good for the guys that didn't have much money want to replace a board or the big, huge guys in Hawaii. I see those big sumo guys riding these lawnmowers because yeah. they can really adapt to that flex. They are a lot stronger but also really stiff. Yeah. So that proof, that construction can override the shape. Those magic boards were like hard to duplicate right. because they forgot this main factor, which is the flex. So to make it a little bit easier for us, we're putting the flex value logo on the boards. So we got it from one to ten. You know, one is a little flex. This logo is on Peter's mail gun. It has a flex value of one. And if you get a little kid board, it has a flex value of with no stringer, no carbon, nothing. Ten. So I see. So if somebody comes to you, you're like, hey, let me suggest a flex value based on what you just told me about where you're surfing or what your skill level is and so forth and so on. Exactly. And you have a flex value, a number yeah. that you suggest. Exactly. And then your, the custom construction is based upon that number. Exactly. Mm. And on the website, we're putting, comparing, let's say, a flex value of five compares to what in the market. So people, oh, I got this. But you actually need this flex value, you know? Because I, I have made mistakes. Yeah. Because they look good. Oh, this carver looks so insane here. Let's put this one. It's like, eh, but I was feeling in this and that. It's like, oh, okay. So now if somebody orders a board, say, okay. Before were dimensions. Then it came volume. For us, flex value is an extra, extra variable that is extremely important. Flex value right there with volume and with the design of the board yeah. itself. Let me throw some things at you real quick that are um, – that are sort of naive. This is the kind of thing that I would come to you, like, say, last year. I'd go, Javi, uh, I don't want an epoxy board because it's stiff. You probably hear that a lot. I've even said this on my podcast many times, that a polyurethane blank has, a, has more of a dampening effect on the wave. It, it absorbs shock better. 
shoot down that statement if you can. What do you say to somebody like me who comes to you and goes, I don't like EPS or I don't like XTR or I don't like epoxy resin because it's too stiff. It doesn't have the dampening of a polyurethane blank. Yes, that's super common. And it's really not that easy to explain, but have you ever driven a Porsche or a Ferrari? No. Okay. I got lucky to drive a Porsche from top of the line car. That thing is fast, but it's so hard to control. It's like, so my first impression is, I don't like this. I want my station wagon, you know, <laughs> or my sedan. Yeah. I, I, I didn't like it. But back of my mind, I was thinking, what if I have a time to get used to this? What if I have time to adapt to this speed? And that's what is happening because you come from a board and you order the same board and epoxy. If you order the same dimensions and one board is one pound lighter, you're already too high in the water. You're going to feel like bouncy. Mm -hmm. I don't like this. That's one of the f most common mistakes. I see. So when you order a board, it's important to ask, what's your history? What, what is your last board? How much you weight? Mm -hmm. Okay, you're getting a lighter board. So we got to reduce. No, it's not going to flow me. Yes, it's going to flow you. So... If you eliminate that, almost anybody complains about, oh, I feel this dampening, I feel this bouncy. Now, certain materials, like when you say epoxy, that it's very broad. Yeah, very because broad. There's yeah. some normal blanks glass with epoxy, there's EPS glass with epoxy, there's XTR. Back in the day, epoxy was molded boards. Mm -hmm. So it's really important to educate, and I wish the webcast guys will help us saying, what construction is that board? That's the question to us. What construction is the board? Yes. Not, yeah. Oh, he's right. It's an EPS with carbon. Oh, okay. It's a poly board, or it's a poly blank, or PU blank glass with poly resin, you know? It's not easy, yeah. but it's not... Uh, Do you think the retail shops are misinformed? Do you, obviously, the consumers are a little bit misinformed. Obviously, the yeah. webcast broadcasters are a little misinformed. I would suggest to you that the retail surf shops, the guys that are selling the boards, are a little bit misinformed. I would even say there's manufacturers that are a little bit misinformed. It's This term epoxy is just this misnomer that's sort of kind of over everyone's heads, and it's not the be-all, end-all. There's just so many little variables. Mm. You know, To say, yeah. oh, it's an epoxy board is wrong. Yes, it's 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 wrong, but it's it's what we get from the media. From you watch a webcast, oh, that's an epoxy, and it's like I say, okay, under that, that umbrella, you that makes you cringe a little oh, bit. Yeah, I have to lower the volume sometimes, <laughs> but but it's not their turn fault. Turn it down a little. Yeah, <laughs> but it's not their fault yeah. because I think ignorance doesn't make him guilty; it makes us guilty for the lack of education. education. Yeah. So, guys that Noel Salas, for example, is trying to educate the public. It's really important who his board should. But um, the issue with um, – where were we? I got lost. I was just saying, <laughs> like, it, this concept of epoxy, it's just – I was asking you, do you think re oh, yeah, retail, retail. Are yes, retailers yes, yes. misinformed? Like, we just don't know. We're yes. ignorant, you know? Yes, absolutely. But, again, it's not their fault. So at one point, it's like before I decided to go online, say, I got to sell in the shops. So my goal was to get 10 surf jobs with my own brand before I did this top, top, 
shapers. Yeah. So I got 10 shops. And I went there, I gave him papers, uh, uh, what's epoxy. Uh, you, br- you bring them marketing materials to yeah. help them understand it. Yeah, yeah. and I, I brought even a, a card with a stamp so they can print their name and I'll send them a free repair kit because how do I fix my epoxy? Nobody right. fixes epoxy. So I have that. Uh, but the shop are kids. Yeah. So I talk to them. This is how you explain. This is So I go to get either a replacement order or whatever, and the kid is gone. There's another kid. <laughs> like, and there's kid's some gone. guys that know. Yeah. But you explain it to them, it's too much. Yeah. It's a lot easier to sell a board that has less complicated performance. You cannot sell Ferraris in, in Target or Walmart. Yeah. You just can't. Yeah. You know, but it's not their fault. Yeah. But do we have misinformation? Uh, yes, we do. You know who I think could be the the obvious educator, if you will, is Kelly. Kelly Slater, obviously everyone here listens to what he says because he's, he's such a great ambassador for the sport. But he seems like the guy that could – because he's into it, because he's such a smart guy and he does research and he's up late at night looking into things that you and I aren't looking into. Yeah. He seems like the great ambassador for explaining the difference between – a poly blank with epoxy resin, an EPS blank with epoxy resin, a poly blank with poly resin, an XTR blank with epoxy resin, and the vagaries and the differences. We need him to be yeah, the, we, the waiver of the flag to help get over the ignorance. Absolutely. I mean, for me, I don't think um, – I mentioned this before, but when he wrote those tomos, he, he, he loved the shape. He loved the shape, but he also loved the flex. That's, Did he know that? Do you think? Did he know that, though? He was one of the first ones to comment about that. If you watch, I have it on a recording. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ross, uh, From Snapper, a couple, three, four years ago? Yes. He said, what is the future? He says, it's about flex. When I was already working on this, he said, thank you, Kelly. Because yeah. it is going to override the shapes. Yeah. The shapes are going single conky, double conky. I flip the tail. I make the nose here. Hello, what about how is it going to perform when I put a 200-pound guy versus a 150-pound guy? Kelly will be a very, very good person to inform. Now, he owns a company. He has specific materials. So he has... He's limited. I don't think he's limited because he, he, he could be limited. But I think more people will listen to him than me. Absolutely. You know, who I am, a guy from Peru. I want to serve. <laughs> God bless you, brother. <laughs> well, Javi, we've said a lot. We've we've talked about a lot of good stuff. Is there anything that we've we've left out here? I believe there's ten more hours. I agree. <laughs> we'll come back another time. Because uh, what I, what I want to see the industry go is get the customers educated. When I go in the water, I think seventy percent of the surfers have their own boards. Again, it's not a fault. Yeah. So we are here making a couple of videos, trying to show, and sometimes I send messages to the webcast guys, to Joel Truppel, to, to, to Peter Mel. Hopefully they will mention um, without going any bias. I'm trying to put a couple boards in the pro surfers for this wave pool contest. You know, maybe uh, we got one for Bethany, a couple for Italo, with Timmy, and hopefully with that, you know. Oh, cool. So we may see some XTR labels on some of Elo's boards or Bethany's boards. Yeah, we may. Josh, 
care of writing the album. He says he used it other way. Pulley, he says he was going crazy. He really cool. liked it. Cool. And That's I can cool. tell you the flex value. <laughs> <laughs> is the flex value for Josh's board? Ten. Josh is light. Josh is light. So we got to give him a lot more flex than yeah. you and me. Yeah. Are you saying I'm fat? <laughs> yes. <laughs> no. Different. Okay. Well, good. Um, thanks. Thanks again for your time today. And, um, and we will, we'll come back and we'll do it because I do want to. I know I can pick your brain for hours on the WCT, on wave pools. We didn't even go into foiling. I want to go into foiling with you next time. Yeah. So um, let's do that. Uh, thank you very much. I appreciate it. No, thank you for the opportunity. I'll see more of these. Okay. Adios and aloha.
Can I share me with you, girl, or anyone? 